Welcome to another episode of Maritime Health and Performance Chat. Today, we've got a hard-hitting, well, I don't know if hitting is the appropriate word because my, my guest is a very accomplished grappler, but we'll go with it. Hard-hitting episode featuring a coach, club owner, former athletes, all within the sport of judo, Jason Scott. So Jason, the floor is yours. Please tell everyone about yourself. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me, Matt. I appreciate the, you know, it's, um, it's an honor for me to come on to your podcast. I'm Jason Scott. I'm the owner operator of Nova United Martial Arts, uh, known as NUMA. And I've been running NUMA now off and on probably now for about almost 10 years. And uh, obviously I've coached before that as well. But um, NUMA has been my my passion to create my own business with judo. And yeah, so we've been uh, going for about 10 years now. And before that, obviously, I was an athlete. So my passion now is to become a coach because I'm 46 years old now. Well, I am a coach, but to be, be a high performance coach on a can of games and national level. Obviously, uh, everybody's dream as a coach is to create a, a kid from a small age and bring them right up to the Olympics. So that would be nice to do. So that's my goal as of right now. As an athlete, I've competed everywhere in Canada and a little bit in the States. Also traveled overseas to Italy, which was uh, quite the experience. Nationally, you know, I've, I've medaled the uh, Ontario Open, Quebec Open, Eastern Canadians, Atlantic Championships, Provincial Championships. I medaled at all those tournaments. And then uh, over in the States, uh, two big ones that I can mention, I guess, would be uh, Pedro Cup and Morris Cup. I've also uh, medaled at both of those. It's funny because I stopped competing and came back to compete in 20, 2009. And that was actually my best year. And that was the year I came back uh, and medaled at those tournaments I just mentioned. And uh, I fought in uh, national championships that year. And that year was supposed to be my, uh, my national medal. <laughs> so to put it bluntly, I messed up. I was in the national championships fighting for bronze medal. Back then was the olden days when you had a, a Yuko, Kokas, and Wazaris, and Ippons. I had one Wazari on the guy and two Yukos. Thought I was going to win it. I heard from my chair to just keep pressuring forward because I did have a, a Shido on the board as well. So I had to make sure that I was still pressuring my opponent. And uh, when I pressured, I did the same attack that I've been scoring with um, up to this point. I did the same attack again. And he pulled me backwards with an Uranagi and got me with a Nippon. Still to this day, breaks my heart. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's a, it was a great experience. I've learned from it. It's a funny story from that. Donnie McGinnis, uh, who is a IJF referee, and he was, he was referee. And uh, I think he was a referee or the judge of the actual fight that I was in. And he's in Nova Scotia referee so he knows me well he came over to me after the tournament and said you know jay he's like you were fighting fantastic he said but you emailed and cc'd every one of his friends exactly what you were going to do <laughs> so unfortunately uh they made a, a little bit of funny uh jokes about it but after that year was uh pretty much my last year of of competing it wasn't because i lost just because i I was getting old. I think I was 32 or 33 at that point of competing. And I stopped competing at a, at a national level at that point. After that, I decided to do a few master tournaments because it was, you know, you probably know as well, Matt, being a competitor, that when you, when you leave competing, you need something to keep that competitive edge. Yeah, there's like a, there's like a void when you leave it. 100%, you know, and I felt that. And, you know, I wasn't, you know, an Olympian or anything like that, but I, I, I felt very competitive and uh, I felt like I needed something. So I, I, I decided to jump into some of the Masters uh, tournaments. And that's when I went to Italy to fight in the Masters uh, in Italy. It was uh, Sardinia. Never been to Italy before, so it was a great experience. And when you hit the Masters levels tournaments, it's pretty funny, you know, it's, uh, it's one of those things that they're not serious as serious as, uh, as a national level tournament, but saying that they're pretty serious, you know, some of the guys are competing in Europe, they have their own masters teams, 
So they, they create their own teams in order to, to fight in these master tournaments. So they're pretty serious. And to be quite frank, I went there, you know, as a judoka, but I went there to have fun. And my mindset wasn't, you know, not to make excuses, but wasn't thinking of fighting to, to win. I knew then, Matt, you know, that I was retired judoka, but I was going there to have that competitive edge still. And went there, fought my first match, won my first match, felt great. Second match, I, I fought the actual guy that won, and uh, he beat me. And in repassage, uh, if you don't come out of your pool, then you, uh, you're done. So I went one and one, unfortunately, in that, in that tournament. But I, I don't feel that my mind was uh, quite there as, uh, as it should have been. Even to this day, I can say that. So if I ever go back again and decided to do it again, I would take it a lot more serious, train harder for it. And uh, when you go across Europe, it's a whole different ballpark, right? It's like going from uh, provincial championships in Nova Scotia to a national championships. You know, it's, it's a whole different ballpark, as you know. You know, so that's where I was at on that. But what an experience. You know, Italy's awesome. <laughs> if you ever have a chance to go, I don't know if you've ever been, but Italy was fantastic. Oh, I, I bet. And this was the Masters World Championships, right? World Championship, yeah. Master Worlds, yeah. So it's, you know, and, and very serious tournament and pretty awesome, you know. It was uh, awesome to be a part of that experience. So a lot of fun. And I was lucky enough to take my, uh, my girlfriend with me too, and we, we celebrated our anniversary over there and stuff. So it was, it was kind of nice to, to be able to take her. And we went to, uh, it, was on, it was in Sardinia, which is a little island off of, off of Italy. And then uh, we flew into Rome and also went to Venice as well. So we got to experience a, a little bit of the whole thing. Wow, quite the, uh, quite the bonus to the tournament yeah. itself. 100%. And uh, it, was, it was great. It was awesome. So it was, uh, it was the right tournament to pick for the right location. Yeah. <laughs> so that was pretty much my competitive, you know, there's obviously way more that I competed at, but that was really my highlights of my competitive career. You know, if I could turn back time now, if a lot of my influencers uh, were coaches here and, and, and athletes here in, in Nova Scotia, but if I could turn back time, I obviously would have found a, a uh, somebody probably in Montreal that, you know, I traveled to Montreal to train there. Now, thinking back, I would have moved there. You know, I, I don't know, in, in your aspect as well, you were, you know, you were pretty much a high performance athlete for judo and wrestling. You know, you, you probably feel the same. I don't know how you felt about it, but that was only young, you know, when I traveled to Montreal to train there, I was nervous, right? I didn't want to, I didn't want to move there because I was scared leaving my family. And, and, you know, I was lucky enough to uh, have my, my best friend, Scott Tanner there to visit, but to move there was a whole, would have been a whole different experience for me. You know, I didn't speak French. I, uh, my judo skills were good, but competitive wise, I felt like these guys were animals in Montreal, which they are. And it just, it was scary. Right. That's funny. I had a very similar opportunity back when I was in, I believe, grade 10 or 11, and I didn't uh, take it for, for similar reasons. Like, it, like you said, it is very uh, intimidating, yeah. you know, leaving at, at, at such a young age and stuff. And it's one thing to get the travel there because in judo, that is where kind of the national training center is. And fortunately they hold a lot of camps that are open to sort of higher level judoka from all the provinces. So you travel there a lot and that's one thing. And that's a lot of fun. It's almost like a little mini vacations and that you get to do judo on, but to move there and make that commitment really is a whole nother level. Depending on how far you feel you can, you can take the sport. Yeah, I agree 100%. And I, and I don't know how, like, because that's still like the uh, long-term athlete development program for judo in Canada is you still got to move to Montreal, right? So, you know, you can do it at an at a older age when you're maybe going to university, but it's still a little intimidating, right? So you got to get these kids prepared for that. And I, I don't know what we as coaches, we have to develop them to, to, to have that confidence that they feel, hey, if I go there, then I'm then I'm okay, you know, but as parents, it's hard to even say, you know, as a coach to go to a parent and say, listen, uh, at 16, 17 years old, even maybe even before that, your kid has to move in order to become a high performance athlete. They maybe have to move to Alberta to become a, into the regional training center or Montreal 
and then be prepared to head to the national training center, which is in Montreal. Right. So as a parent, I mean, I'm a parent as well. And thinking of telling my kid at 15, 16 years old, Hey, you got to leave and go to Alberta. I don't know how I feel about that, you know, but it's something that has to be done. It's, it's, it's a tough decision to make uh, for, for a parent for sure. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't even imagine. It would be hard to uh, advocate for that as a parent. But I guess you see that's kind of the common path in other sports as well. Like hockey, usually people get drafted to those major junior teams in the at the age of you know, 15, 16, and they move away or they go to the prep schools or whatnot and, mm-hmm. in order to transition to sort of a university or a professional program. And I guess that's sort of the way judo is similar now too. Like you said, they have to move to those regional training centers and then kind of transition from that to the national training center but which are nowhere near uh nova scotia no exactly right i mean montreal is fairly close but i mean if you're going to a regional training center to prepare them before they go most of the regional training center people that come from nova scotia go to alberta right so i mean that's a good truck to get there so, I mean, as a parent, it's, it's got to be tough. But you're right. I mean, it, it, every sport is the same. Hockey is no different. But it's just to get the mindset ready for not only the, the athlete, but the parents, right? And we got to not only coaching the athlete on the mat, we got to kind of coach them off the mat and the parents off the mat to start to realize this is what they have to do in order to become that athlete if that's what their goals are, right? Yeah, that's an excellent point, especially, uh, and I'm certain you're familiar with this, building a program as your kind of your business, your livelihood, building NUMA. But it's so important to have buy-in from your athletes and from the parents as well. Because a lot of cases, these athletes are, are younger. It's the parents who are driving them to practices, to competitions, who are helping volunteer when there's extra chaperones needed or or giving drives when they're needed, right? Like you need a total buy-in to have a successful program at at every level. Definitely. hundred percent. I mean, uh, not only the athlete is very important, the parents are are super important in that, in that process. Right. Enjoyable too, when you have that buy-in, when you have that good core group, all kind of united in one sort of vision with the same values for the overall program itself. Agreed, for sure. And I mean, uh, that is up to the coach to get that information out to the parents and the athlete in order to uh, start developing them, right? You know, some of these athletes, are, they're great athletes, and but that may not be their goal in, in general, right? You know, you have to get that out of them. Their goal might be just they love judo, and that's good too, right? And some kids, it's tough to get out of what their actual goals are, right? So it's it's something to really dig deep into. Yeah, and I guess that's part of your years of coaching. That sort of experience eventually lets you be more familiar with how to get those athletes to open up about their goals. For sure. You know, in my coaching experience, obviously, you know, you know a little bit about it, but just to give you that side of my experience, it's funny how NUMA actually opened, you know. I used to own a business. It was called One Up Contracting. My background is for in the office furniture and office supplies business. I've worked in uh, for Grand and Toy since I've been 19 years old, to be honest with you, which is quite a long time ago. And uh, I decided to take all my experience with Grand and Toy and do my own business. And I, I left for a few years and started my own uh, office furniture installation business. So basically, if you go into a call center, uh, we uh, put together cubicles, basically. And that's what we did. I had a team of 10 and we did that on the side that was my business so during that time i had a huge warehouse uh in spryfield and at that point in time was the canada games in halifax that's when you actually competed there yeah <laughs> <laughs> i think you remember and uh you know we did well at that canada games that's when we had a tatami so they were looking for a place to store them judo nova scotia was so I volunteered uh, my warehouse to door them just to help out and create a legacy with, for all the Canada games with the, with the mats and stuff to, to have them there. Well, uh, it turned out that they were looking to sell those to Tammy, the blue and yellow ones, and buy the rollout ones that we have now. So it was funny because before all this happened, some of the guys in my business, the one-up contracting business, said, Jay, you know, you should throw a couple of those mats down and show us a few moves. 
<laughs> so I was like, well, sure, yeah, no problem. So I showed them like a few, few judo stuff, right? And they thought it was great, right? And they, I had 10 guys, right? 10 guys back then that were fairly young guys. They were probably about 20, 25. And they were keen to, to learn judo. At that point in time, uh, like I said, Judo Nova Scotia was looking to sell those to Tammy and, and buy rollouts. So the guys, uh, the 10 guys that I had through my business said, why don't you buy them and start a Judo club? And where my warehouse was so big, I said, it's not a bad idea. So we'll put a wall down the middle of my warehouse and we'll put a Judo club on one side and my business will be on the other. So I bought the Tatami and uh, we basically we're throwing it down throwing those mats down just to have fun at first with the guys that that uh i had working for me and then all of a sudden i had people coming to me and they they came to me and asked me you know that to if they could join the club and I'm like wow you know i was quite surprised i didn't really expect to open a dojo at that time and uh, I was already really busy with the other uh, contracting business. And I said, you know what? It's my passion. Uh, I love judo and I love Spryfield because that's where I was from. And I felt like I should give back to the, the, the neighborhood. And as some of the area could use it, you know, some of the kids don't have a lot to do in that area or, or a lot of money in that area. So I did it at a low cost and, and try to do as what, whatever I could to provide for the community. And my whole concept behind opening that club in Spryfield was to give back. You know, judos give a lot to me. And I started originally in Spryfield at Chibokta Heights School. And that's why I decided, hey, you know what, this is a good thing. And it made me feel like I was giving a piece of judo back to the community. It's funny you uh, say that term, give back, and that's such a uh, common term in the sport of judo and actually uh, really in the sport of wrestling too. And, you know, just kind of sports that are built in usually, like you said, kind of uh, around a low-cost model, not-for-profit, kind of not huge revenues coming from everything. So you depend a lot on your volunteers, either that through athletes or parents or former athletes or uh, again, people in the community. So it's, it's, it's nice that a sport like judo really instills that giving back mentality. Right, exactly. Right. And that's, I think that's really the principles of judo really, you know, and it's not really, you know, the principle of just judo is mutual welfare and benefit for all. So, I mean, we're kind of spreading that out in a different sort of way. Judo for me is my life, right? And it's created a lot for me. Like I said, I grew up in Spryfield, so in a bad area with a few bad people, <laughs> you know, growing up and, and hanging out with. And if it wasn't for judo, who knows what would have happened? You know, I, I don't like to look back at the past to say it could have been this way, but I feel that judo's helped me out a lot. And, uh, you know, I was lucky because Jamie Sloan White, uh, he was one of my best friends that lived like two or three doors up the road from me. And he was actually in judo already. And he was the one that actually pushed me and said, you should come and try it out. And it was in my school at the time at the elementary school that I was in. And I knew it was there, but I just never thought about going. Right. And then Jamie's like, come try it. Come see what, uh, see what it's all about. So <laughs> my first, my first day, I still remember it like it was yesterday, my first day, you know, and, and, it's funny, you might think it's, uh, it's not true, but I was actually the smallest out of Scott Tanner and Jamie Slomwhite back in the day. <laughs> I, was, uh, I only grew when I hit like 16. It seemed like I was never going to grow. And Jamie was actually bigger than me, and you know how tall Jamie is, so. Yeah, so what, <laughs> five, two, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, okay, I'm sure but anyway, I was there and, uh, you know, and, and for those that don't know Bill Anderson, <laughs> Bill has a very, very stern voice. You know, <sighs> he growls when he talks, right? And I looked up at him and I was like, you know, I wanted to try judo. And he's like, are you going to stick with judo? I'm like, yeah, that's my plan. You know, <laughs> that's how he talks, right? <laughs> so he's like, okay. So he, back then, it's so funny to, to even talk about this now. Back then... My dues for judo per month, I still remember, was $5. $5 <laughs> per month. Oh, man. And he explained that to me. And 
the funny thing is I was like, you know, I, I didn't grow up with a lot when I was young. So my, my parents weren't very wealthy or have a lot of money. So I, I was really nervous to, to even ask my parents for, for any money because I knew they didn't have a whole lot. So I went and got a paper route and I actually paid for judo with my paper route. After a while, I was very lucky because Bill was a super generous guy and, and we talked about giving back and he discovered giving back so much to the sport that after a while, he realized that, you know, I was working a lot for my $5, which was great. But he, after a while, he, I helped out coaching uh, when I get to a certain age and he gave me my membership for free. But it was a funny story of how it, how it all began. And then Jamie moved to uh, this States and I obviously met Scott in the same club that we were at and Scott moved to Montreal and I was the only one left in Nova Scotia so that's how all the uh, competing went and then I started traveling to Montreal to hang out with Scott there and also train that's where that all began but it's uh it's funny how things how things work out eh yeah everything's kind of comes full circle roundabout way yeah for sure but uh after all the after my competition in Italy is uh, I know you wanted me to talk a little bit bit about the uh, my CrossFit uh, how that all happened yeah just like how you know because well beyond judo you're just you know a well-conditioned very in shape person who takes you know takes their health very seriously so I mean there's there's a lot more than just kind of the judo I think people can take from uh, this conversation yeah well I mean uh, with coaching I find that a lot of coaches just you know, they get their uh, certificates or whatever it is in, in their actual sport, and then they may update that certificate. But then it's a lot of the coaches, I'm not saying all, but some coaches are, are they just stop and they don't develop on other things. Yeah. And I, I felt like, well, first what happened was before Italy, I started looking for how I could train weight-wise rather than just going into the gym myself. Where could I go to either get a personal trainer or, or work out in a group. So that's how CrossFit started for me. I started before uh, Italy, before World Masters. And I started okay. working out in a gym in Dartmouth here called Blended Athletics. And they were great. Like their, uh, their coaching was really good. And it was the same thing when I came back from Italy. It was the same feel that I had for when I stopped competing in general nationally. I felt like I needed something to compete in or that felt like competition to me. And CrossFit was was that, you know, I went into the, the gym and and you're not really competing with each other, but you, you kind of are, but everybody's cheering you on no matter what. So, and, and that to me felt awesome, you know, like you would be in the gym. Yeah, you're competing against one another, but if somebody finished before you, they'd come over and, hey man, let's go, keep working, keep working. And it, it was a very good community type feel. Yeah, that's a very healthy sort of competition where it's not, there's no ego involved to it. Like you're trying to be the first one done and push your limits and, and, and finish first. But at the same time, like if you don't, you're not going to be sour about it. You're going to be humble exactly. and winning and, and you're going to you know, just keep working hard if someone finishes before you. Exactly. And, and that's, and I love that feeling, you know, it felt for me like, like judo. Yeah, that's, that's very much what judo is like. Like you said, that mutual benefit. Yeah. So that's how that went. And then, uh, then I actually, my, my work kind of shifted a little bit and I wasn't over in Dartmouth anymore. So I, uh, I was over in Halifax. So I changed the CrossFit gym to another gym in Halifax, which is actually close to the, my dojo now, which is called Onside. And, uh, they had a little gym at that point in time. That was just a little tiny, uh, community gym that was very good too. And they had great coaches there as well. And when I was there, I started getting better at CrossFit. And with my coaching background already, I was already a, a level three comp dev coach with in NCCP with judo. So a lot of the uh, coaches there were looking for more coaches. And they asked me, like, do you ever think about coaching CrossFit? And I never thought about it whatsoever, to be honest with you. And I, I enjoy just going in and put my head down and not having, having to say anything, you know, to coach anybody. I was just, it was just for me. But then after a while, I started thinking, you know what? I already at this point in time have took, I took uh, two uh, certifications through CanFit 
and I don't know if you know CanFit at all, but CanFit, all the um, good lives around Halifax, uh, actually around Canada, are on CanFit Pro instructors. So they get all their certifications through that CanFit Pro. Oh, okay. So I was, uh, I was a personal trainer and fitness instructor through CanFit Pro as well. So I'm like, you know what, uh, why not? Let's, let's, uh, let's look into it. So I looked at the, the most recent uh, CrossFit levels, the certifications, and um, there was one coming up in Halifax, which doesn't it rarely, I mean, this, sometimes it happens, but not often, right? So it was fairly close to the time that they asked me to be a coach and the, the course was coming on. So I went and took the course and actually it was a really great course. Like they showed me a lot of um, things that I was like, wow, you know, this is, this is great um, experience because I felt that I was more involved in the course than reading through a, a book and studying, if that makes sense. I was more, it was more of hands-on and that's, that's the type of guy I am. I need yeah. to be hands-on. And I, I learned a lot from that course. So then I became a coach in CrossFit and that's when I started coaching at Onside funny because Numa closed in Spryfield a year before this and uh, I closed for personal reasons I I don't mind saying I got I got a divorce and I needed a couple couple of uh, years off just to recoup and then uh, I started at Onside to coach and then they asked me if I was interested in renting half of their gym to coach judo and I was like wow this is coming full circle again. So uh, I started uh, just a little recreational program a couple days a week, just to kind of same thing, right? Just to try to give back judo to the area and thought maybe, you know, that some CrossFitters would, would be interested in trying judo out. And it, it worked, right? There was uh, some judo people that were coming back to me from my old gym and I was getting new ones as well. Then uh, they uh, on site started getting super busy, like they did well, and uh, they needed the space. So uh, they asked me if I was interested in, in finding a new spot. So I did, and that's how Numa started today. And uh, we were thinking about going back to Spryfield area again, but to be honest with you, I wanted to create an area that I was hitting all aspects of Halifax and Bedford and Dartmouth, you know, you could come from any area in HRM and feel like we were central, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like you know, where you guys kind of are off chain Lake uh, drive there is very central. Yeah. I thought, I find that, you know, for the most part, you get a central uh, location that anybody can really travel to right from HRM. So that's why we, uh, we were looking to stay in Bears Lake. We thought about traveling somewhere else, but I think we made the right decision. And, uh, you know, with Spryfield, I already had uh, Mike started up the club out there. So I, did, I didn't really want to step on any toes out there either. So we decided to stay in Bears Lake. And that's how we are at NUMA we are today. And doing very well. Obviously, with COVID, it's been a little bit of a struggle, but we've pushed through the storm, let's to say it that way. Yeah, and, and I've just recently been sort of getting back to judo at Numa, and it's been it's been fantastic. Like uh, uh, like you said, sort of how judo is a community driven. It's it's very uh, you know giving back, mutual benefit, mutual welfare. You know that's very much what your club embodies. And even just in the couple of weeks that I've been been back to the sport, I mean a lot. You know, because uh, our whole concept in our club, you know, is is to create a community and keep the community, not only with the athletes, but with the parents as well. And I feel that we've done very well with that. And uh, that's my, that was my whole goal. You know, I mean, even if I had 10 people in there, I wanted them to feel like they were part of my family and, and vice versa. And, you know, I feel that we have that. And uh, I want to always keep that feeling, you know, because judo to me is, is my life. If you're part of judo, then you're part of the judo family, you know? 
Yeah, it's a very welcoming feeling, very easy to join, makes it very easy for people at any age, any background, whatever, to join judo and, and take something from it, whether it just be general health, you know, a high performance competitive drive that they end up competing at a high level, just a recreational thing, just something, you know, it's a great thing for people who are older to get into because it, there's still some progression, there's still opportunity to compete at a, at a, you know, recreational level. So, you know, it's just a wonderful, uh, very welcoming sport. I think so too. You know I mean? I'm a little biased of course, but, yeah. <laughs> but I think it's one, one of those sports that, that will welcome anybody, any person, no matter race or age or, or anything. So, and I feel that way. And I feel that any club, you know, in Halifax area or Dartmouth or wherever, any club in Canada really, or the world, that will welcome you into their club, right? And it's, you know, for me, when you look at it, judo is, is judo. And we don't have uh, a lot of different uh, types of uh, martial arts, if that makes sense. Judo, if you, if you travel anywhere in the world and you go to a club, you're doing judo, right? It helps you be welcoming and anybody will welcome you. Like I could travel, like I, like I said, I traveled to Italy and met so many friends in Italy that they say, if you're ever back here, come to our dojo, you know, and they, they welcome you. And that to me is why I do judo. Yeah, it's, it's an amazing feeling. And I really enjoy the setup of your club too, because in my background, kind of the, the sports science side of things, uh, you have, you walk into your room and on top of obviously the judo mats, there's bars and, and uh, weights and dumbbells and, and medicine balls and all that stuff. Like, cause you also run your, your J fit classes, but your CrossFit background, I mean, Olympic lifting, what, what a fantastic background cross training, you know, whatever you want to call it during the season and off season to do as far as translating to judo, right. As far as needing to find a full body movement that you need to generate as much force in as short of a time using everything at your disposal, trying to leverage something that doesn't want to move. For sure. Yeah, exactly. I mean, as you know, I mean, judo is, takes a lot of uh, explosive power to, to throw somebody. And it's, it's, you know, I mean, you don't have to be big and, and muscular, but you need to have some explosive speed, right? And Olympic lifting for me, I find that that is one of the, the sports that translates to judo really well because you're creating that powerful, fast, explosive type lift. When you come into a, a, say a clean or a snatch, you need to explode your power from down below to all the way up to the top of the snatch. So judo is the same thing. You know, if you go for a, a judo throw, you need to start with the pull and then you explode the speed in and then the power comes from, from the hips, you know? I think it all, it all relates very well. Yeah, if you want to look at sports-specific training, um, Olympic lifting to judo and really most combat sports are perfect examples because, you know, when you're in those specific phases, that's exactly what it is. You know, a sprint, you have to move very quickly. A, you know, say like a conventional deadlift, you have to move a lot of weight, but you don't have to do it uh, very fast necessarily. But then you bring that two together for that full, you know, snatch or, or the clean or whatever. It is that moving a, a large weight as quickly as possible. And that is kind of exactly near sort of the, you know, physiological biomechanical side of judo. Agreed. Yeah, 100%. As far as your coaching background, Jason, you had the experience to be the, the head coach for the Nova Scotia Canada Games team. I did, um, yes. Yeah, that, and kind of like you said, you wanted to create that kind of Canada Games legacy when you when you kept those mats uh, in the first place, which was probably about three, four years before this coaching opportunity. But yeah, what was that like? What was that coach development like? What was it like working with athletes at the, uh, a high level like that? And kind of, because I, I have some sort of opinions on the current Canada Games model. I'd love to discuss that with you afterwards as well for sure for sure um canada games is great you know it's a it's a great experience for any kid any coach it's really awesome to to be part of it we were very lucky we came out with silver medal sierra tanner uh won a silver medal that year that i coached 
And I mean, the experience for those kids was phenomenal. And I guarantee you, they'll remember it for the rest of their life. As you can probably say, you know, being a Canada Games member, you were lucky enough. I don't know, lucky or unlucky. I don't know how you feel about that, but you were in your own city, which sometimes is lucky because, you know, you get your parents and family can come watch, but other times unlucky, you don't get to travel and stay in different areas and different locations. But I'm not sure. Definitely some pros and cons. Yeah, for sure. Um, but we were in uh, Red Deer, so we uh, were super lucky that the area was, the venue, I should say, was really nice. The one downfall that I would say, it was super cold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, judo falls in the, the winter Canada game cycle, as opposed to it's the summer in pretty well everything else, like Olympics, all that. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's funny because um, when we were there, everybody was saying how cold it was. When I walked outside, I'm like, what do you mean? It's not that cold. I don't, I don't get it. But in Nova Scotia, we have that moist cold, you know? It's like wet cold. Yeah. But there, it's so dry. So you don't feel very cold at first. And then within five, ten seconds, your nostrils start to freeze. <laughs> <laughs> and it did. And then all of a sudden, I went, wait a minute. It is super cold. So, but yeah, I mean, uh, the experience for uh, Canada Games for me, it was great. So it was myself, Charlene Oliver was the female coach, and Scott Tanner was still the technical director back then. And, you know, we all got along great. My actual, my girlfriend, uh, I call her my wife because we're pretty much married. (laughs) She was the manager, so, uh, which was a great team because we had a, a, a good form of coaches and my wife is honestly one of the most organized people I know. So she took care of everything else that we didn't even have to think about, which is awesome, right? Because, you know, being a coach, sometimes you have to look at the other side of things that you have to arrange transportation or uniforms or all that other stuff. And we didn't have to deal with any of that. She dealt with all of it. which Yeah, it's a lot more uh, fun when all you have to worry about is the judo. Oh, hundred percent. You know, it was, uh, and we didn't, you know, we didn't even have to think about it because she was on top of it right away before we even thought about it. She already had it done. So it's like, awesome. You know, it was, uh, it was great that that could happen. As far as the experience alone, like I said, it was great, but we had two injuries and, uh, that makes it a little hard, right? We had, uh, one, two people pop their elbows, which made the experience, uh, difficult for them which makes it obviously makes the experience difficult for any coach uh, that finds uh, an athlete hurt in a situation, but they made the best of it, which was good for feeling for me. Like when somebody gets hurt, you know, I mean, it's, it's not good anyway, but when it's out of Canada games, when you're wanting to make the best experience for these kids that they possibly can have uh, as a coach, you you feel down about it, but they came around and, and they had a great time afterwards. So, you know, it was, it was good. The experience of uh, the training beforehand, um, there's a couple of things if I could turn back time, I would do differently. But, you know, I, I love the fact that these kids were ready to train and ready to do whatever it took to be there. And we only had, unfortunately, in Nova Scotia, as you probably know, we, we didn't have a full team. So most of the kids that applied that wanted to go, most of them, they would go as long as they follow the standards that we put in place for training and tournaments and training camps. We would send them if we thought they were ready, which, you know, I wish that we had more athletes that would be on board as a Canada Games athlete. You know, if like Ontario, Quebec, they have probably have two or three athletes that they're fighting off for spots, right? So it makes athletes do more, right? So you know, and these, these kids were doing a lot as it is, but I know if we had somebody else there coming from underneath them to say, okay, well, I'm here too, it would have gave them more drive. Yeah, I really light a fire under them. Yeah, and, and I f- not, I'm not trying to say that they didn't have that fire already, but I mean, it's always nice to have that extra body in case somebody gets hurt or yep. anything, you know? So other than that, I mean, I thought it was great. Canada Games for me... I feel the the uh, experience is awesome for kids and for coaches. The only downfall for Canada Games for me, this is me personally, and I'm sure that a lot of other people feel the same way too. Downfall for it is 
everybody leaves the sport after the games. Yeah. We don't see them. So I'm like, oh, man, you know, where where did this kid go? He was good. You know, let's push him the Nationals. Let's push him, you know, to start developing him at a, at a different level now. But, you know, for the Canada Games team that we brought to Red Deer, I'm not sure there's anybody out, out there that's actually competing in judo right now, you know, except for maybe one or two, which is sad, right? I mean, I want to get those kids back and uh, there's obviously something that we can do to get them back. I just don't know what that is yet. Yeah, I find, uh, and I got to go through a Canada Games cycle for wrestling, and it's the same. And I've got to see a couple as an athlete who wasn't old enough or too old, uh, as well as kind of from the coaching side. And that was kind of what I wanted to actually discuss with you about. You, you beat me to it. The yeah. fact that Canada Games, you see, you call it a Canada Games cycle because at the you know right after the Canada Games, usually registration for the sports at an all-time low. And you're barely getting anyone there. And then the next year, it's a little higher. And the year before, when kind of like you said, there's certain criteria that these athletes had to meet to make the team. Once that kind of criteria comes out, then everyone comes out of the woodwork and says, okay, I'll throw my hat in. Or, you know, you get the the kids who, you know, were doing it recreationally um, and kind of their coach saw their potential and said, hey, is this something you'd be interested in? That's a a factor too. But again, coaches aren't saying that until those – criteria come out right right and then and then you know that year before there's a huge boom there's a ton of people registered competitions regionally are full right yeah and then the canada game selection happens and then there's that drop off yeah and then there's like kind of a second drop off with the team because usually several people leave as well after the canada games itself and I don't know, Matt, maybe it's because, uh, I mean, that's about at the time that you're graduating high school, too. And maybe some of the kids say, OK, now it's time for university and then they're dropping off from the sport. I, I don't know what it is. Um, how did how, I guess that's a question for you. How did you feel after Canada Games? So I got kind of it's, it's funny because when I went for judo, I went when I was uh, 15. So I was at sort of the bottom of the age group and there was several of us, I, I think about half the team were young. And then in wrestling, we were a pretty big mix and I was at the oldest. So I was going on, already planning to go to university for wrestling at the time anyway, but the team was filled with people that were not aging out uh, or, or as far as high school goes. And the judo team was the same way. So totally understand the people that don't want to pursue athletics beyond high school, because when you do it either during university or you have to get a job to fund it, it's a huge commitment. So it's a real big choice, right? Like it's a huge choice. And some people would rather pursue other sports, university trades, work, whatever. Right. So that's an understandable drop off, but it's the one, the, the thing that kills me is the ones who still have several years left, even in kind of that junior high, high school age that leave. I think the, it, the biggest issue is kind of the mental aspect of it. The issue with that Canada games is it's a fantastic experience, a wonderful stepping stone, especially for, I think any athletes who have sort of those high performance aspirations who want to make a national team and compete on the international level. Eventually they may run into uh, an Olympic games or a Pan American games or a Commonwealth games, whatever. So I think the Canada games is a fantastic way to give that experience, you know, and it's also just a fantastic sort of celebration of sport brings the country together and all that, but where it's built up, it's so hyped. I think it's built up in so many of these kids head that it's such this important thing that when they lose, it's almost a a burnout. You know, it felt like they had, they've had a, a long, long career of athletics within just a short, maybe even two year cycle, because there was such a hyping up of that tournament that if they didn't perform well, it was kind of such a discouraging, okay, I'm not going to make it in this sport. Or if they did perform well, it was almost like a, this is my pinnacle. This is my peak. Like I'm not going to beat this. So I think because it's so, hyped up and that's an issue at a lot of levels right like at the coaches within the clubs and that's in you know there's there's media sensation of it right because the canada games they want to they want to build it up right it happening at a wrestling level too like oh my goodness yeah the the exact same uh cycle happens and i've seen it and not just within the one i've competed i've seen it within ones that i've been outside of as well it's the exact same thing and it's within those two sports i think that kind of you mentioned earlier that long-term athletic development isn't talked about enough between coaches and athletes so these kids have no perception of the canada games is merely a stepping stone they think it is the pinnacle of their career because their coaches aren't preparing them for 
four years, five years down the road where they're hopefully competing nationally, internationally, right? They've made those transitions to the national training center, if that's their goal, obviously. But I think that's what it is where it's just built up. It's so hyped up that uh, it needs to be sort of brought back down to earth. Like coaches need to be very realistic with their athletes saying it's a good experience, a good stepping stone, but also conceptualize it like uh, your tournament at Canada Games is often smaller than a Quebec Open or an Ontario yeah. Open or a or national Unity. championships, right? Like, sure. There's several yeah, within you know the national circuit, several tournaments you can compete at at an age of 15 or 16 that you'll have more people in your, in your bracket than the Canada games, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's bigger tournaments. I feel uh, almost like, I mean, like you said, the nationals is way more important than Canada games, right? I mean, yeah. Canada games on a, on a national judo level doesn't really mean anything for points, right? No, exactly. You can't qualify for an international tournament through a placement at Canada Games. No, exactly, right? And I think you're absolutely you hit it right on the nail there. And and I think maybe it's because it's a great it's great that they're doing this, but maybe where the media is involved with Canada Games and there's a big hype on you're getting track suits and all this other stuff and everybody talks about it, right? Not not just one sport, you know, like if you say, okay, I'm going to nationals for judo, or, or you say, oh, yeah, I've been to the Canada Games for judo, everybody will know what the Canada Games is. Yeah. Right? Oh, cool. You know, I went to Canada Games. So I don't know what, how, to, how to create that hype for other tournaments. I'm not sure. I think it's less so hyping other tournaments and probably just being in the ear of your athletes. And that's kind of not, not even just the Canada Games coach themselves, because I mean, their job is to prepare the athletes for the Canada Games, right? So maybe with that Canada Games coach, you know, making sure they remind the athletes that this is a great tournament, we're working hard, but this is just a step in your development, really. And yeah. then as far as the, at, the, at the club level coach, that would be sort of, again, they want to prep their athlete for this. It's a fantastic experience, a wonderful competition to go to, uh, just a great exposure to a multi-sport games and that level of competition. But at the same time, just kind of be realistic with them and say, whether you make this team or not, like there's more tournaments, like if this is a sport you really want to do well in, Mm-hmm. making this team or not is not going to in the long term really affect your development in any great deal yeah exactly uh, and and to, to reiterate on that i mean i didn't make the canada games team when i was young i fought against guy still remember his name kenny chisholm right <laughs> <laughs> his uh he beat me by a coca and we had a fight off back then we had enough athletes when i was young that we had a probably a a fight off almost for every division. And I had uh, one fight and lost by a Coca score and Kenny, Kenny Chisholm went, but he's no longer doing judo. Right. Yeah. Great. You know, he was a great athlete, but I'm not sure if it was right after Canada games, he stopped, but it wasn't long after that. Let's put it that way. It's funny. Um, and, and you know, him, I think through the, the CrossFit world mostly, but my old wrestling coach, Corey Robinson. Yeah. There's kind of two things he always told us, which was exactly why kind of Canada Games was never my planned stopping point. I think that helped a lot. But even at the national championships in that kind of U17 age, right, that kind of end of high school, he always said, I'm not training you to win nationals this year. I'm training you to win it five years down the road. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. And the other one, <laughs> the other one he said too, was, uh, it's not always the guy who's, who's the best. It's the guy who's around the longest, right? Cause if you're around long enough, you might pick up that improvement you need to get that development through any way, or, you know, sometimes the people, other people just don't hang around long enough and, and then you can sort of, then you get that spot, right? Exactly. And those are awesome advices. You know, I, I know Corey very well and, and he's a great coach too. And, you know, some kids, don't develop until later in their career right and it's funny because obviously we want judo kids at at canada games level to to come out and be fully developed ready for judo ready to compete at a higher level but i look at some of my kids and even my i look at more of myself i guess is i felt like like i said back in 2009 when i came back after competing those years i felt mentally and physically more prepared, you know, and I was 30s then, and I felt way more prepared and physically and mentally than I ever felt back when I was in my 19s, 20s. Yeah, just, well, you have that that mental maturity as well. Like as long as you take care of yourself, especially based on male physiology, you can develop strength, 
for years. Like you can continue improving your strength well into your thirties and forties. So, I mean, you, who, who I've said earlier, you know, takes care of your health a lot and, and does a lot of different exercise styles and lifting and whatnot, like death would have probably been the strongest in your life coming back at, you know, early thirties. I felt that way. You know, performance-wise, when I was younger, I mean, I did okay. I mean, nationally, I was winning a, some big fight, beating some some pretty high-level people. But I felt like even to this day, I can say like when I hit 30 and came back and, and fighting when I was 30 years old, I felt ready. I felt more prepared, felt like my nerves weren't, you know, I didn't feel... When I was young, I just felt very intimidated. Like I said, like you said, when, if you're fighting a national champion over the other side of the mat, I felt my teeth chattering on the other side. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's so, it shows how much that mental preparedness goes into any sport performance, yeah. really. 100%. But when I got older, I felt like, and nowadays we have coaches that can help with that, right? Back when we were young, like, I don't feel anyway, maybe there was, but in my days of competing, I didn't feel like we had that mental preparation coaching. And unless you were traveling up to Sensei Nakamura in Montreal, you know, he was mentally prepping you in, in different ways. He was putting you in front of these tough guys so that you felt like, okay, it's now it's time, you know, yeah, I have to change my, my mental game or else I'm going to get my butt whooped here. But here in Nova Scotia, it's tough, right? Because once you're at the top of your game, in Nova Scotia, where do you go, unless you travel to Montreal, where do you go to feel that extra pressure, which you, you need to feel, right? So as soon as you went up to places like Montreal or Nationals to compete, then all of a sudden your intimidation level are ready because you're like, oh, you know, these guys are national level competitors. Right away, you feel intimidated as a young kid, right? Oh, for sure. I think a lot of it too, and what we can do as coaches and part of it too, is just the coaching education wasn't there as well back when you would have been competing. Cause now you look at, as you get up higher and higher into, you know, high performance athletics, you see those kind of interprofessional teams that you would see through, you know, like sports center Atlantic or, or through any of the national teams that have strength yeah. conditioning, they have nutrition and, and dietetics, they have a sports psychologist and whatnot. And now that coaches at the lower levels, while maybe the resources aren't there to have all those different professionals to provide to every athlete, at least, there's becoming more and more coaching material out there that they can learn to apply the concepts of sports psychology and, and, and you know, that mental toughness um, and how to, how sure. to teach that to their athletes. For sure. hundred percent. You know, a funny story is uh, I was saying myself, Scott Tanner and Jamie Slon White were always training together. We would take it on our, upon ourselves to go to like Back then, it was the YMCA, and uh, we'd always look at each other and say, "What? What are we training today, boys?" Oh, it's time to do bench press. <laughs> Every day with bench press. <laughs> yeah, and you think about the, about the sport of judo. Like, how often are you pushing? <laughs> Not often at all. I look at back at that now, and I'm like, you know, it's crazy, right? We just didn't have that coaching uh, for weight training or like mental preparation. You know, Bill yeah. is great. Bill was great. He taught us the, the judo aspect. Um, That's his job, though, because because in a perfect world, I mean, we do have that kind of interprofessional working within teams, right? His his job would just be the judo side. Exactly, right? So we almost needed, you know, I mean, we just didn't have it back then. Like nowadays, we like you said, we have Canadian Sports Center Atlantic. We have, you know, all kinds of different places you could go to get personal training or fitness training or all you have to do nowadays is go into a gym and say I do judo I'm looking for a personal trainer and that personal trainer will develop a program for you for that particular sport yeah well that's that's one thing I appreciate about your club is that you've gone and gotten these different certifications you've not only coached but you you started as far as your crossfit goes you started by just participating in it right by doing it um so you have some experience doing it so now you can provide people that come to your club another service right if they want to take their judo to that other level they can say okay coach can you get me an olympic lifting program to pair with my my judo days and stuff yeah well that's the goal right i mean yeah. uh you know obviously i'm still learning i'm constantly trying to dig up information that i can to, to help but yeah i mean uh, i always want to keep on developing not only my athletes but my, myself in in some form or, or another yeah and that's so important as a coach i know kind of a little 
like personal goal of mine would be eventually to, uh, as I'm kind of in the last couple of weeks before I uh, write my uh, strength and conditioning certification exam there, like to break into the judo and wrestling communities as a, as a strength coach, right. And provide that extra bit of service, that extra bit of preparedness that they can take to their national and international competitions, right. That, that we didn't have growing up because I do have that both competitive knowledge in the sport and my sports science background through, you know, masters and stuff. But that's, that's a conversation we can have another day. Exactly. And I think we need to have that conversation for sure. So oh, I know well, we- I mean, I'll probably see you tonight at judo anyway. So <laughs> um, we, we missed you Tuesday. So you have to come I know, in. I know. We just got just so busy with the, the move coming up. Um, right. I don't want to keep you too long, Jay, because I know you're busy. Um, but one thing I'd love to ask you is just within all this, you've probably said it already, but just kind of in a roundabout way, what do you feel like you're doing sort of to stand out and get ahead in your field as a coach and as the operator of, of your club? Uh, as, as an operator of my club, um, well, you know, we've been, we've been extremely lucky with my, our memberships, to be honest with you, and I'm humbled by it, to be honest. But we've really been focusing a lot on community. And I think, like we, we talked about already, I think creating a community atmosphere in our club has been phenomenal. And uh, what I find it has done is it's obviously the best way to develop a club is through word of mouth. It's still the old school way where it's word of mouth is the number one way to develop your club. But we've created a social media background and we're staying very active on social media and we're getting the the word out through that as well. So I think that has helped a lot through building NUMA, if that's what you're asking. We took a, a leap of faith to create more of a business aspect in judo than a not-for-profit, which has obviously pros and cons, right? Yeah, and, and which is no small feat um, from a traditionally not. non not-for-profit uh, sport. Exactly, and but I think that you know a lot of the key for us why we I feel that it's paying off to create a more of a business is one is being central. Our location is central. I think that's a really key point. And I mean, obviously in Bears Lake, if you, you know Bears Lake, there's everything around. So it's great for parents, right? They can drop their kid off and they can go run errands for an hour and then come back and pick them up after. And I think that's been a, a big key and we promote that, right? We're like, you know what? You don't have to stay. With, with COVID now, you can't stay anyway. Yeah. So, you know, drop your kid off and, and you have an hour. Nowadays, everybody's busy and if you can create some time for yourself to have an hour to do other things then it helps right so we push that in our business a little bit like give them to us we will develop them as an athlete while you can go do some errands come back and grab them after so that's helped a lot but i feel our community is our best we have great coaches not only myself at, at coaches at numa you know some of the other coaches there as well you know we have really good coaches Vanessa McCarran is one of the great female coach that awesome with kids and kids take to her. And then we have, you know, Jamie Slamite used to be with us, but he unfortunately moved to Bridgewater now. So we no longer have him anymore, but he was, he was great to have too. You know, we had the same, you have to have your own tribe if, if that makes sense. And when you have a, a judo club, you create a tribe of coaches and you have to be able to be able to bounce ideas and stuff off of one another and give feedback or criticism where it needs to be. And if you all have that same mindset, then you can create a great coaching atmosphere, which creates a good club. Yeah, it's building, it's building that team culture. 100%. And kids and adults, not just kids, the whole club sees that when you have that aspect of coaching at your club, that everybody has the same mindset and knows where they want to see the club excel, right? And if they all have that same mindset, then it, it all of a sudden it just builds on its own. And that's what's been happening. I can go on and say it's social media aspect for other things, but I really feel that our coaches and our team and just the club in general all have the same mindset and the same want. They want to see judo grow and NUMA grow. And if we all feel that way, then it all of a sudden everybody comes together as a community 
and then we build together. Oh my, uh, not only my coaches, but my athletes, I always tell them, this club is not my club. This club is our club. Everybody, this is your club. So let's build it together. Let's become great athletes together. And whatever your goals are, we do it together, right? And that's how everybody builds together. And that's such an important thing to build, right? That team culture, that collective vision, because that's what's going to not only make a successful program now, but kind of like you said, sort of make a program that's beyond one person, you know, beyond one person's kind of ego or anything like that. It's that that collection of what everyone wants to do, that collective vision, and then you really build something that lasts for years and years and years that'll develop athletes for years. Yes. And that's, that's the goal. You know, I'm, I'm getting up there too. So at 46 years old, I mean, still got some time, but I'm feeling pretty good shape, but at some point I have to be able to pass it on to somebody. Right. So hopefully we can get that coach in there that has the same mindset that we can say here, you know, this Numa wants to still grow and now you're part of the team. Yeah, hundred percent. And I mean, just something very topical right now. And sort of you as not only just a, a judo coach, but a business owner, what's it kind of been like operating during COVID during this global pandemic and sort of what have you had to do? What have you had to modify to be able to still provide that service, to be able to still coach and train people and run your business? For sure. Obviously it's, it's, uh, it's been difficult times for everybody. But Nova Scotia, we've been quite lucky, as you know. We are in Nova Scotia. We are one of the provinces that are doing judo at 100% capacity right now. When it first happened, obviously, they closed down everything. We weren't able to do any judo at all in our club. So I started doing Zoom classes, which I think a lot of fitness people are doing too. And a lot of people across Canada for judo as well are doing Zoom classes. So I started doing that and kept the kids engaged. Uh, it was more kids coming on that Zoom call than, than any adults, but some adults did. I mean, they were, they were there to maybe get some fitness side of it. And that's how I really kept them engaged. And I kind of gave them uh, some, some ideas, like I would give them little challenges maybe to do, like maybe push-up challenge or, or squat challenges just to keep them active, right? So we started off that way and it went, you know, we kept kids involved and active. And then after that, we were allowed to come back in. Don't quote me on this, but I feel that we were one of the dojos in all of Canada, that we were one of the first ones to come back in to actually do regular judo. And I'm not positive on that. I'm almost 80% sure that we were one of the first. And I think a lot of people are looking to us to say, okay, what's going to happen? right? Is there, is COVID going to hit their club? And I didn't know either, right? I was nervous as, as ever, but I felt that somebody had to make the jump and we were told by our, our health authority that we were able to do it. We just had to come up with a plan. We put together a, a four phase plan as uh, how to do judo during COVID times. The first step was to uh, come into the dojo, but no contact. So we created squares on the mat that were six feet apart and you had to stay in your square and we do the exercise in the square. As you came into the dojo, you got your temperature checked and uh, we wrote down all names for contact tracing. After that, phase two, we were allowed contact, but only with same partner. So same thing, we took temperatures, but you're allowed just same contact with same partner, but staying in, in the six foot area. So we created that phase and then phase three was we created a group plan. So if you decided to come in to train, you would train with maybe four to six people. And that would be the only partners you were allowed to switch with in that group. And then the fourth plan was to uh, run a traditional type class, which we're at right now. But while we're actually recently, we're allowed 100% capacity, but at, for a while there, we were down at 75% capacity. But we're at, at NUMA, we decided not, not to take any more than uh, 25 maximum. But at this point, we're only really taking 16 to 20 on a regular basis on, on each class. So uh, has it been difficult? Yes. The biggest difficulty, Matt, is knowing whether or not is it going to come back? Is it going to close down again? Right now, as you know, today we had 38 cases announced today. Yesterday was 25. So it's coming back up again. And there's an, an announcement at uh, 1.30 today whether or not to, to find out what the new restrictions are going to be. 
So that's my biggest difficulty is always having that over my head to whether or not they're going to shut us down again. And to me, uh, as a business, it's very difficult, right? Uh, if they shut us down, we still got to pay rent. Government-wise, uh, you know, they do have some funding for government, but it's not a whole lot that we can live off of. So it's, uh, it's been difficult, but uh, I guess that's really all I can say. I mean, we try to adapt. Judo is all about adapting in uh, bad situations. So I feel that I'm using my judo background for my COVID situation. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, like, that's such a, that's such a huge thing. And not everyone would do or is able to do the, the sort of the zoom classes. Like it sounds like right through from shutdown day one till where you've been fully opened for a little bit. Like um, it sounds like you've still been providing something for your athletes and for. Yeah. Them. I stayed active yeah. for sure. Yeah. I stayed active for sure. I had to, you know, I mean, as a business, we, we have to stay active some way or another, you know, we weren't charging for zoom, but at least, uh, at least we were getting kids to stay active and, and stay engaged. So when we were able to get back into, in the class, we were able, you know, they, those kids came back. Yeah, exactly. That inactivity and that, that good habit breaking, uh, you know, you might lose some kids to the wayside. That's right. And yeah, so exactly. If some clubs, uh, even like hockey or, hockey or soccer, were opening it up, you know, we might end up losing some of those kids to those sports because we were saying we're not going to do anything uh, during this time. So we wanted to make sure that we stayed engaged. That's where sport really does become a business because at the end of the day, registration matters. The who's participating matters, right? Just as much as what you do when you get that participation, right? Agree. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, it's a, uh, it's been tough and uh, it might be tough again at one thirty today, yeah. <laughs> but you know, I, we'll, uh, we'll adapt where we need to, right. I don't know what the conversation is going to be with our premier today, but if it comes out that says that we have to close down, then we've done it before and we'll adapt to the situation again. Right on. That's so good to hear. And Jason, uh, I mean, we've been, we've been here for, I feel like we're pushing an hour and a half now. So I mean, <laughs> probably uh, try not to keep it too long, but um, Listen, just I could talk about judo all day, every day. Buddy. I know. And, and, and there's, <laughs> I think there's several kind of conversations we had today that uh, again, I could have branched on with you for hours on end. And I mean, I think we already got a bit more to talk about putting that business cap back on after the, <laughs> after we're done here. But exactly. uh, before we finish up, do you want to just one more time, plug the club or uh, any other programs? I know you got your JFIT as well. For sure. Numa, we run, uh, we run judo classes pretty much all week. The only day that we don't run any judo classes on on Saturday uh, and JFIT classes we run uh, four days a week. Um, so and real quick, what what is JFIT just for people to know? It's a interval training type workout. It's similar to CrossFit but not really CrossFit. We do a lot of CrossFit type movements but take out some of the, the movements that I feel um, that not everybody can do. So we want to make sure we are welcoming everybody into uh, the dojo or the, the fitness center. So um, it's an hour of interval training and we do it with either partners or by yourself and it develops all muscle groups. So not just focusing on one level, we develop our fitness and our muscular endurance. Hopefully that gives you your answer. <laughs> oh, that, that's exactly. I mean, I, I know what JFIT is. I just need, I just want everyone else to know what JFIT yeah, is. Yeah, for sure. It's a, hard to explain. It's boot camp style, I guess, but it, it's a great class. Same. And we created the same thing with the JFIT as we did with our judo uh, community feel. So we make sure that everybody's welcome. Right on. Way. And uh, where, where and how can people uh, find you? And obviously, so they can find us on uh, if you're looking, our website is available. You can go to our website, www.teamnuma.com. Or uh, if you're in the Bears Lake area, you can drop into 67 Crane Lake Drive, which is just off of Chain Lake. And you can uh, come by anytime and we can show you around. Right on, Jason. Well, I appreciate so much you volunteering your time today. And uh, hopefully I'll be seeing you here in a couple hours for practice. Hey, buddy. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks so much. No problem. We'll see you next time on Maritime Health and Performance Chat.